for this morning already. Thank you how we've been able to, to worship you and in truth and just worship uh, that say even proclaim that you God that we are children of God and God so you I pray that you would help us to be those children of God that we desire to be God it's so difficult but we can do this we know as your spirit leads and guides us and we pray as we look into your word this morning it will lead us and it will guide us in all truth and we pray this in Christ's name amen well, you guys, many, I'm sure everybody here has heard that phrase, it's the sign of the times, right? You heard that before, it's a sign of the times. Really what the, that phrase is, it's something, it describes the way things are, but usually it describes the way things are in a negative way, right? We never say, oh, it's a sign of the times because how, how happy I am. No, we usually say because something is going on, like there's so much violence in our society, a sign of the times. Or relationships don't, just don't seem to stay together anymore. Well, it seems to be a sign of the times. Or, or racism seems to be on the rise. It's a sign of the times. I think we've all said that, of, at least thought that once. Like, what is going on in our world? Unfortunately, though, oftentimes a sign, a sign of the times can cause people to panic or to react in fear. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. You've looked at what's going on. You've seen the fires that were going up north. You've seen, the, you watch the news where they talk about China and they talk about Russia and you go, oh my gosh, what is going to happen? Are we safe? And once again, it's a sign of the times. But oftentimes we react in fear. Okay, a good example of this is something that happened all 18, almost 19 years ago. I don't know if you remember this, though. People thought something was going to go happen almost 19 years ago. Something that it never did happen. But what do you think, what was it that almost happened 19 years ago? Can you guys remember? Those of you that are old enough to remember, what was it? Exactly. The, the millennium bug. Remember that? The millennium bug, which led to this anxiety that we we're going to have this Y2K thing was going to happen and everything was going to shut down and the, the world was going to fall apart. Let me give you just the gist of this for um, those of you that don't remember, but most of us do. You could probably thinking, it's kind of like the, our old, our, my folks said, you know, would say, where were you when Kennedy was shot? Lot, <laughs> we kind of said, where were you at Y2K? Yeah, I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing. But uh, basically the gist of it is when computer programs were first written, and some of you computer nerd, I mean guys, can really help out understand, me understand this better. When they were first written in the 1960s, engineers used a two-digit code for the year. So they left out the, they left out, um, the 19. It was just like 12, 13, 14. Well, as the year 2000 approached, many believed that these systems were not going to be able to interpret what zero, zero meant. All of a sudden, there were 2000. What, what is this going to mean? They didn't know. And people were assuming that it was going to cause some uh, major glitch in all these systems from these catastrophic impact on banks, remember, and transportation and power plants and all these things. People thought... Things were going to go crazy. And people responded in various ways. I don't know, some of you might have just wrote it out, got ah, whatever. That's kind of, we were, like, we were kind of, we were living in a foreign country, so we were like, anything can go wrong here. So, uh, so but many people did different things. Some people wrote it out, others stored up food. I heard about people storing up food in bunkers and making bunkers and all things like that. Um, some people looked, I, I read this one online one time that survival camp enrollment went through the roof. 
People were signing up for all these uh, survival camps. Uh, now we know that nothing happened. We know that nothing, you know, Y2K came, went, everybody said, I didn't read about it. I heard about a guy who had a party at his house and went down, down into the basement. And right when they were counting down, one, zero, turned off all the power, broke the breakers and people just freaked out. But <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> but nothing really happened. Now bring this back to the present day with all that's happening in our, in our world today. Think about it. I mean, just think about the news lately, the mass, the rise in mass shootings, the threat of, like I said, nuclear war with, with China and Russia, really the secularization and the watering down of hard biblical truths. We're seeing that, aren't we? The watering down of that, um, the rise in natural disasters, the return of boy bands, things like that that are just, <laughs> that th things that we just go, oh, what? What is going on? How are we to properly, seriously now, how are, we, how are we to properly discern and respond to these things? What are we supposed to do? When things start to happen, we go, oh no, what is going on? As followers of Jesus, how should we discern the signs of the times? Especially those that directly threaten us or seem to point to the end times, seem to point to the second coming of Christ. What should our response be to them? And this is what precisely we are going to look at in this morning's passage. Um, Jesus is now beginning a whole new discourse or a, a whole new discussion with his disciples. That whole thing in the temple, all that stuff that went on is done. Now he's starting a new one, which really includes all of chapter 24, we're starting there today, and all of chapter 25. And really what this discourse talks about and focuses on is what will take place in the future. Okay, and I just got to tell you right now, this is probably some of the most difficult passages in the Bible to interpret by far. This is wild stuff. I can guarantee you, you probably have not heard very many sermons on what we're going to do over the next couple weeks because of just so much of, there's, there's this view, that view, all, their views are all over a place about future events, about the end times, about what has happened, what is going to happen, all that. It's very confusing. And believe me, I more than once pulled out the few little bit of hair that I do have this week as I was reading different commentaries that hold whole different things <laughs> to say what was going on. So I had to pray a lot uh, this, this week because the, the difficulty with this passage is figuring out which events will take place near future from when Jesus is talking and which ones are going to take far, happen far into the future. You see, within these two chapters, what we're going to be looking at over the next uh, three or four weeks here are two separate events. Okay, Jesus is going to be talking about two separate events, I believe at least, and it's often difficult to know which event he's actually talking about it seems like in some ways he ping-pongs back and forth talking about one and then talking about the other. That's why some people will say, no, it's just about this. Others will say, no, it's just about this. Well, you're going to get my version, which please, please, please is not the gospel, okay? I'm a man, just someone that studied this, and people will spend a lot more studies. So if you, have a, if you have a different view, we can still have lunch together. That's fine, okay? We're all, we're all good, okay? So he's bouncing back and forth. One of the events he talks about, he's talking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, okay? Which actually will happen in about 40 years from when he's talking, 
Okay? In about 40 years, it is going to happen. Okay? And that with, in about 70 AD is when that happens. The second event that Jesus is talking about here, we have, we have no idea when it's going to take place. None whatsoever. Some people think they do. But this is the second coming. Okay? This is the time when Jesus will return as conquering king to destroy all evil as described in Revelation 19. And, and this could take place at any time. Okay, I read all the crazy theories this week, not all of them, but a lot of them of what people have thought. Oh, it's going to happen now. It's gonna, you probably remember that, right? Harold Camping maybe and some of those other things where people said, it's going to happen this day. It didn't happen. Oh, I was wrong. Yeah, you were. You, you're not supposed to do that. We can't. We can't. We don't know when that's going to happen. Yet really, I believe with all the confusion surrounding these next two chapters, we are going to see that there is much, much for us to learn and to apply to our lives today. Okay, this isn't just stuff that was written for guys that love to dig into scholarly stuff and discuss it and find their own camp on it. That's not what this is about. There's stuff for us in this, okay? So let's just jump right on it, okay? We're just going to look at the first 14 uh, verses. So let's jump in and see what we can learn from them, starting with verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 24 of Matthew. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered to them, you see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will be thrown down. Okay, so you got to understand, these two verses really actually serve as kind of a climax to Jesus' really kind of eventful time in the temple, all the things that we talked about the past few weeks, all right? So here Jesus, he's leaving the temple, all right? He's going out, he's been there for a while doing all these things, and his disciples point out how impressive the temple is, okay? How amazing it is. Yeah, we have a picture of, this is a rendering of what uh, the temple looked like during Jesus' day. It was a magnificent, magnificent um, uh, building here, okay? Uh, scholars agreed it was really impressive. Herod expanded this temple. It, they agreed that it was magnificent. It was probably one of the most impressive and awe-inspiring buildings in the entire ancient world, it was just amazing. And I'm sure the, the, the apostles, they, they hadn't, the disciples, they hadn't been around that much. So to them, it was like, oh my gosh. I, I still remember the first time we went to, uh, we lived in Europe. And I remember we, we went to Paris. And I remember the first time coming out of the tube and then looking up and seeing the Eiffel Tower. I mean, it literally took my breath away. And after a while, you're like, oh, no big deal, a lot of steel. But the first time, I was like, whoa. I've seen pictures of this. I've heard about this. And it's right there. Many of you have done that same thing when you've been around stuff like that. This is kind of what the disciples are thinking right now. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. I mean, it says the stones of this temple that have been found measured 20 to 40 feet in length and weighed more than 100 tons. I mean, it was literally an ancient engineering marvel. Yet to the Jews, it was way more than just that. Much more than just this amazing building. To the devout Jew, writes one commentator I read, the temple represented not only the beauty of Israel's culture and the glory of God's presence, but also, also the permanence of Israel's religion. So they looked at this thing and say, yes, that's who we are. Awesome. And nothing's going to change. That was, in, that was their mindset. Yet we see that kind of seemingly unimpressed, Jesus points out the temple along with the magnificent buildings surrounding it. He kind of points back and looks back all that. And he tells them that this entire thing is going to be completely demolished. 
It's going to be completely torn down and destroyed. And once again, something we know is actually going to happen in about uh, 40 years. Okay, really, the Romans came in after a big civil war. The Romans came in, they burnt the temple, they tore, and they tore the thing apart stone by stone. All that was left was some of the foundation, some of which we can still see today, which some of you know, it's the, the Western or the Wailing Wall. That's pretty much all that's left. You know why they tore it, up? They tore it apart? Because all the gold melted and it went into the cracks. So they ripped up every, every single stone to get that gold out. So it was a, that, that's something that did actually happen. And this speaks to the judgment. Remember, we looked at the judgment that Jesus said is going to come upon Israel. He talked about this. So you can imagine the disciples looking around at each other after Jesus says this going, wait, wait, what just happened? We just wanted to show you and point out to you that we thought this was awesome. We just wanted to say, hey, look how awesome that is. That, that sure went a different direction than we thought it would. I mean, I'm sure they weren't expecting Jesus to say that. At least like, hey, yeah, you're right. That is pretty cool. But remember, Jesus had already said earlier, something greater than the temple has come, speaking of himself. So he knew that the significance of that temple was, gonna complete, was about to completely change. But they were like, oh, wait, you're supposed to think it's awesome, Jesus. So after dropping that bomb on them, Jesus continues to head east. It says he heads out of town to the Mount of Olives. Look what happens next in verse 3. He says, he sat on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So these guys, they get out of the city and Jesus' disciples come to him and, and actually they ask him, ask him essentially a two-pronged question that includes two events which they assumed were going to happen simultaneously. Okay? The destruction of the temple and Jesus' return, therefore the end of the age. That's what they believed. When the temple's destroyed, that's the end of the age. That age ends. And the new kingdom is going to be, Jesus is going to reign forever on his throne. Okay? You see, the disciples in their mind, the destruction of the temple, as inconceivable as it seemed, would signify that was all over. It would signal the beginning of this new age ushered in by Jesus' return. Two events that we know that they're going to take place in vastly different times away from each other. Yet they believe that they were going to take place simultaneously. So to understand, so understandably, disciples, they want to know, okay, when is this going to happen? Jesus, you just said something pretty amazing. When's that going to happen? And what, what, what are, should we be looking for? What are some signs that this is going to happen? It's not just going to go poof, fall over. What should we be looking for that will let us know that that time has come? See, once again, they're thinking, when is the time the temple is going to be demolished? And when are you going to set up your kingdom and reign forever and end of the age? Okay. Now, in Jesus' response, we're going to see him tell them things that I believe, once again, this is what I've come up with, that will take place both before the destruction of the temple and before the second coming of Jesus, okay? There will be the destruction of the temple, and then there's going to be this unspecified period of time, the end of age, when Jesus Christ will return and judge the world. Are you guys still with me? Right, this is, this is whew, stuff, I know. But this is, this is where he's going to go with this, okay? Once again, the difficulty in, that we're going to see in, in these verses 
is determining which things belong to the destruction of the temple and which belong to the return of Christ. Okay? That's why there's so much controversy. So much controversy over this section of the Bible. So let's look what Jesus has to say. Look what he says in verses 4 through 8. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, so that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famine and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of birth pains. Okay, so in answering their question, when will the temple be destroyed and what are the signs of your second coming? Jesus begins by giving them this two-pronged warning. Here's what he says. Don't be led astray and don't be alarmed. Don't be led astray and don't be alarmed. He says, first of all, there's going to be these false Christs and rumors of wars and wars and political unrest and famines and earthquakes. You think, you ever seen those before? Yeah, like maybe throughout all time. Yeah. Okay. He says that there's going to be these would-be liberators that they're going to, they're going to present themselves as those who are, are divinely sent and they've been powered with, you know, messianic uh, ambitions. There's going to be people coming along. People came and people did come along then. It happened. We know from the writings of the historian Josephus that this actually occurred a number of times. One person actually, one person convinced the people to actually revolt against Rome's authority in 66 AD, which really is what led to the eventual destruction of the temple and the annihilation of Israel, of Jerusalem. And really what they believe, up to a million Jews were killed. A million. A million. Think about that. In ancient times, a million people were obliterated. And we think we live in a crazy time. We do. But man, we know that there will, he says, there'll be soon wars and rumors of wars outside and within the Roman Empire, and that is totally true. Until the time of the destruction of the temple, we saw that happen. Are there any wars and rumors of wars going on in the last five, ten years? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of that stuff happening. Um, he says, there will be political rivalries as, as well as natural disasters such as earthquakes and widespread famine. See any of that happening? And it happened back there as well. Just as there are periods like this in history, these are normal, exper normal experiences. The truth is that really every generation has its share of political and natural disasters. And really, I think it's tempting for us to think that we are kind of the exception, huh? We kind of think, oh my gosh, can you believe what's happening here? And we forget that these things have been happening for generations and generations, generations. And Jesus goes on to say that, you guys, this is more than just, the, this is no, no more than just the beginnings of birth pains. There's worse to come. There is worse to come. And he knows that, who knows how long it's going to last. That's what he's saying, you know, those of you ladies in this room that have given birth before, I mean, what, the labor pains signify what? Something is coming Okay, birth is coming. Not yet, not right now, but it is coming. Okay, it, they precede the birth. And sometimes, as most women pray for, that they don't last very long. But as we know, for others, 
Devin, they last <laughs> for a really long time. This is what he's saying here. We don't know. We just don't know. What Jesus is doing here is telling his followers to expect earthly groanings in this, follow, in this fallen world, but he cautions them to not see these events as signs that, hey, the end is coming. They will seem like signs, but they're, but they're not the signs. These are not, they're just signs. Something more is going to come, Okay. The lesson here that I think for us, how do we bring this back to us? I think what this lesson for us here is that as we see things in our world, all this turmoil, all this craziness, we need to not freak out. We need to not freak out and think that things that we're, things are approaching apocalyptic proportions. Oh my gosh, look what's happening. I know the opposite probably happens with a lot of us. You just become numb, right? To all the craziness going on in the world. But I tell you right now, you travel other parts of the world, and you'll see how crazy it is. Once again, it's my goal. We've talked about this with Luther coming here. My goal is that we start sending teams of people to go to Africa and start seeing what's happening in Liberia. We want to go to Jerusalem and we want to see things that are happening and hear stories of people that things that are happening all around the world. But what he's saying here, don't see these things as apocalyptic proportions because the reality is that when we do that, when we start seeing, we start freaking out, we become susceptible to teachings or ideas that promise peace and security. You see this happen all the time in developing countries where warlords come in and they can easily convince people, we got the answer for you. Or false religions and cults come in all the time. You know when the wall went down? When the wall went down in Germany, they say it was a wonderful opening for evangelism for Christians in the world. But you know what else it was? Yeah, it opened the floodgates. I've heard story after story. Opened the floodgates for false religions, for false teaching, that people that were just hungry, hungry for truth. Because for them, the world was just, it's, it's got to be over. It's, got, it's, it's crazy. So you see what he's saying here? Don't freak out about this stuff because it will impact how you start to see the world and how you start to um, listen to other things, Okay. Jesus is telling us this is only the beginning. He's saying, stay the course, remain faithful to my word and to the ministry that God has for you. Because here's what I'm trying to say. Here's what I believe is the main focus today is the truth is that the signs of the times should lead us into wholehearted participation in the kingdom of heaven. This is what I, this is what I believe this is what the main idea here of what Jesus is trying to get across. It is to get us to participate in the kingdom of heaven wholeheartedly. And we're going to see that in a minute, how Jesus keeps going that way, okay? Now, along with all these things that are going to happen, political unrest, famines, earthquakes, he says the next thing is going to happen. He says there's going to be severe persecution, okay? Both inside and outside the church. Look at verses 9 through 12. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. 
Now, I'm sure the disciples, remember, I, I, I'm thinking the disciples at this point were thinking, okay, pretty soon we're going to enter into this time of, of victory and celebration with Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Let's just, you're here. Let's get on with it. Let's just, let's overthrow Rome. Let's get, let's get going on. Yet, as we see here, he tells them instead, <laughs> they should expect persecution. This had, their heads had to be spinning by now. Absolutely spinning. What? You're here. Wait a second. We're, all that stuff's going to happen and we're to expect persecution. He says that because of him, because they are his followers, because of their indispensable connection to him, they will face things like being handed over to the authorities and arrested, which in many cases will lead to their death, as well experience, as, well as experiencing hate, being hated throughout the world. Now, we know, obviously, this stuff happened back then before the temple, right? We know that this stuff happened. Stephen was stoned. I mean, all, the, all these things, Christians were persecuted. We know all this stuff happened, and it still happens today. We live in such an insulated world in, in America, don't we? If we only knew how the persecuted church looks and how they survive and how powerful they are. I was listening to someone that was talking about the underground church in China, and they were talking about how, I mean, to them, God, Christ is everything. And they have to go places literally, not maybe literally underground, but away from the authorities. You can't have a church there in many places. Yet their faith is strong. I mean, it's incredible. The stories you hear from these people. That stuff is happening. People are hated. Families are divided. I don't know if you've heard of families before too where a Muslim family sometimes, where someone becomes a Christian in a Muslim family, what happens in that family? You don't exist anymore. Ouch. That stuff has happened and it's still happening today. In addition, fellow followers of Jesus, it says, will fall away and turn from the community of faith. And, you know, the very thing that was supposed to distinguish us as followers of Jesus, that very thing, the lack, I mean, the love for one another and the care for one another, it's going to be gone. It's going to turn, it says, into betrayal and hatred. Man, when someone betrays me or hates me over my faith, I get pretty offended. <laughs> what are you talking about? This is America. You know? God bless America. Turning this, things are changing, isn't it? Aren't they? When it comes to that, especially when you start espousing what the Bible truly says about how to live life. He says, false prophets or imposters within the Christian within the Christian community will lead many astray with their false teachings. Ever heard any of that before? Any heard any false teachings out there before? Or heard of people doing false teachings out before? Because it's going to happen. It's supposed to happen. It happened then, and it's still happening now. God says, his, you know, that what's going to happen is people that are dedicated to him, they're going to become loveless and cold-hearted. I have a feeling once we see that, start to, some of us start to experience, we're like, we're like, whoa, what's going on? This isn't right. But this is Jesus saying, this is supposed to happen. It's going to happen. The truth is we see these things still happening today. People leave. Have you ever heard of someone leaving the church before and then completely leaving the church altogether? And then even becoming, starting to badmouth the church. Happens all the time. Small churches, 
Mega churches happens all the time. Something happens to people that were solid believers in the church and they actually become protagonists against the church. Something happens. Jesus said it was, it's going to happen. Someone leaves our church disgruntled. It, the chances that are happening are very likely. Because Jesus said it is going to happen and we shouldn't go, what in the world is going on? No, this is supposed to happen. Don't be freaked out about that. It is going to happen. What we learn from this is that we need to remember that the Christian life between now and when Jesus returns will never be free from adversity, suffering, and pain. It'll never be free of that. And it was, as I was even writing those words, I remember thinking, yeah, you know, we don't go through a lot of adversity and, adversity and suffering and pain for our faith, do we? But we do when it comes to having the courage to speak to our friends who might not believe believe and lose those friendships. Those are difficult things. Remember the Apostle Paul, what he told his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Oh, it is up there. It's not up there. Happy news, huh? You want to walk as Jesus asked you to walk, you want to live the kind of wholehearted faith that you know your heart longs for, <laughs> there is going to be persecution. Yeah, remember, I love this though. Look at, remember the story in Acts where the apostles, remember when they were arrested and they were sent to the high council uh, because they were speaking and healing in, in Jesus' name and they were brought before this high council and they were stri strictly told, stop doing this. Okay, don't do it anymore. We're going to let you go. We're going to beat you first. So they beat them. Then they let them go. And you'd think they'd go, dang, what do we do now? Man, that was rough. How are we going to be safe? And this is, this is our mission. This is what we're supposed to do. How do we do this? <laughs> I love in Acts chapter 5, it says this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. We would think today, weirdos, <laughs> what's your problem? How do you do that? But they're like, no, we, we are going to rejoice. We are going to celebrate. We'd be thinking, don't put yourself through that. Don't, what about your kids? What about your family? What about your reputation in this community? Just do it on the down low. Live it out. Live out your faith. Just live it so people see. They'll, they'll see Jesus in you. No. These guys weren't willing to do that. They were so pumped. They were so excited because they were able to suffer for Jesus' sake. And what happened is that suffering motivated them to go out and proclaim the gospel even more fervently. So it didn't, if anything, it backfired on the religious leaders on the, on the council. Totally backfired. Made them go, I mean, we've seen that happen before with other people. How do we get that kind of mindset? 
How do we get the kind of mindset to live out our faith in that way, where we're willing to suffer, where we're willing to take persecution, we're willing to be bad mouthed or lose our reputation because of Christ, lose our job? Obviously, we'd be smart and not reckless. But how do we get that mindset to not be afraid to unashamedly live on mission for our Savior? Well, I think it's the result of two encouraging promises Jesus now makes in the last two verses we're going to look at here. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, But one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. All right, first encouraging promise that Jesus makes, he says that there's salvation for those who endure. Now, this isn't salvation by works. This is still salvation by faith. Those who have faith that endures. Okay, a couple of months ago, some of you know this, a couple of months ago, I began swimming a couple days a week at the Oceana pool early in the mornings. Um, uh, just to kind of really work out and get myself in shape. And I'm also going to start some spin classes uh, in a couple weeks over at 24 hours. And why, why am I doing this? Well, besides knowing that I look awesome in a Speedo, um, I'm, I'm trying to get... Uh, ladies, get that out of your mind. I'm trying to get that... Um, I'm trying to get in shape. I am trying to get to a place where in the springtime, I want to do a sprint triathlon. Okay, a short version of a triathlon on this coming spring. And I know that if I am not physically ready, I'm in my mid-50s, if I'm not physically ready, I will fail to endure. I will fail to get through that triathlon. I know that. That's why I started months ago swimming. And I'm going to start biking and all these different things. Talking to, you know, talking to the Morrises. How do you stay in shape like that? You know, all these things. I have to do that. Okay? Same goes for us as followers of Jesus. The same goes for us. We need to be as ready as possible for all that comes our way in terms of trials and disappointments and able to be able to endure or remain steadfast in our faith. How many times have we seen it in our own lives or in the lives of other people where trials, things come along, difficulties come, and it's, I'm out. Or just slowly back, I can't take, I can't take this. Because there's no, been no endurance built up. None. And that's why Jesus, all that we've been talking about, the importance of being a part of community and of being a part in the word and all those things are so important. That's because of their tasks, because they help us to endure. One commentator I read this week puts it this way. I really like this. He says, the Christian life is not a 10-yard dash. Such a short sprint that we can get, pri get the prize after the first five steps. Rather, it is a grueling marathon that we must run all the way to the finish line. The gospel demands distance runners, those who run towards heaven with hardship burning on their heels. Those who patiently pace themselves, knowing that momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. You can even go back to the comment that I mentioned about being uh, labor pains for women. Oh, this is so hard, so terrible. What's the result? The baby. The baby. So worth it. 
well, speaking as a man, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that too flippantly. Uh, (laughs) It's interesting though that Jesus says this very same thing that we just looked at back in verse 13 in chapter 10. Remember, remember he sent out the 12 disciples to preach the kingdom of heaven and he, and he knew, he knew that they would be tempted to give up when persecution and disappointment got overwhelming. He knew that. That's why he told them to endure, endure to the end. Jesus says that we are to remain faithful because there will be a day when we will be vindicated due to the reign and rule of Jesus. We are going to have a day when we're going to look back and we're going to go, whoa, I worried about what? (laughs) What was I so worried about? I'm reigning with Christ. I lost my job over that. I lost some friends over that. I lost over that. Man, it was worth it. Hard now. But that'll be amazing. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Because Jesus has already won the battle over evil and sits victorious on his throne, we win as well. For now, we can expect those labor pains. But like I said, the baby will be born. So keep going. It's hard, but keep going. That's why as a church, we need to be a church that doesn't just come on Sunday morning. People that come on Sunday morning and leave. We need each other desperately. How are we to endure if we're trying to do it by ourselves? It's impossible. We can't. We need to be vulnerable. We need to be transparent. We need to be open with each other because there's no way we're going to endure on our own. We desperately need each other because these labor pains are going to keep coming and they're going to keep coming. For now, we experience them, but it's going to be all be good. Let me ask you this. How are you enduring? How are you enduring? Are there things in your life that have maybe sidelined you, not maybe all the way, but sidelined you a little bit from enduring, okay? In steadfast, passionate faith in Jesus and for love of others and for the desire, and it doesn't break your heart anymore that you know people do not know Christ. You do, they do not know him and you know where that's what's gonna happen when they die, but even now you know that they're not gonna experience um, the life that we can have as a follower of Jesus. Does that break your heart anymore? He's saying, maybe we're not enduring. Maybe we're not enduring like we could. See, the promise here is of ultimate spiritual victory for those who stand firm in their faith. I'm not saying you can't have doubts. I'm not saying we can't have struggles, but that's what we, when we endure, we have those, we can build up endurance. When I swim, I just, I was just telling Scooter, I've been swimming for months now and I just bought paddles. Why did I buy paddles? So I'm trying to build up endurance. I'm, I'm putting things in, making it harder for me to paddle with my arms because I know that's going to help me to endure. The same thing in life. Jesus says, these things are going to come. But don't shrink from them. Don't just go, what do I do? What do I do? Trust Christ. Envelop, go to your community. We need each other desperately for these things. What he says here is what separates or distinguishes a true follower of Jesus from someone who's really just trying to be spiritual on their own efforts. I don't know about you, but I've tried that many times in my life. 
<laughs> I've gone through many periods where I'm trying to be spiritual, but I really realized I was doing it on my own. Really what separates those kind of people from a true follower of Jesus is endurance. Endurance that comes through faith in the one who provides the endurance. So when you get down, when things are difficult, when you feel like giving up, he's, what Jesus is saying here, yes, those times are going to come. It's going to get very hard, but don't freak out. Stay the course. Keep doing what you're doing. But it feels stale, God. It feels like I'm really not going to. Just stay with it. Keep begging me and asking me for, your, for my presence and the work of your Holy Spirit. Keep it. Go to your friends. Find other people. Tell them what you need. Ask them to pray for you. He's saying, don't give up. Endure. Because that's where he says, that's where spiritual victory comes. That's where the joy of the Lord truly comes from. Versus just muddling through this life. I'm saved. Yeah, but life's, you know, really rough. And I, I don't really want to tell anybody about it. So don't live like that. He's saying, don't live like that. Okay, second promise real quick. And we're just about done. Second promise we see here is that we can be sure that no persecution will obstruct the progress of the kingdom. Okay, no persecution will obstruct the progress of the kingdom. What he actually is saying here, persecution will actually provide opportunities to spread the gospel. I mean, we see this time and time again throughout the New Testament, don't we? Where people are persecuted and then great boldness comes to preach the gospel. I don't know about you, when I thought about this, the first thing that came to my mind was Paul. Thinking about Paul, remember? He was sitting in a prison. He was sitting in a prison and he writes to the Philippian church and he says this, who's totally worried about him, I'm sure. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And, the mo and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are more bold to speak the word without fear. <laughs> What an amazing thing. He's sitting in a jail cell probably. I'm sure his downtime's thinking, what, God, what, what's, your, what's your plan here? But as he brought those doubts, as he brought those fears to Christ, he was strengthened in the fact that, okay, I'm, I'm going to stay on mission, even in prison. Are you stuck in a job you don't like? Jesus is saying, stay on mission. Are you looking for a job? And looking for direction? He's saying, in the midst of that, stay on mission. Stay on mission of living for Christ. You're supposed to be a, 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 a daycare person, worker, for Christ, for Jesus. You're supposed to be a police officer for Christ. You're supposed to be a software engineer for Christ. Not when can I figure out how to really use my gifts. No. He's saying, do it now. Use those gifts right now. No matter how hard the person, because that's what the devil enemy wants. He put Paul in prison and probably went, yes, the greatest Christian of all time. And he put away. And look what happened. Paul said, I'm going to stay on mission. I'm not going to stop. My circumstances are not going to determine my mission. Now, I know easier said than done. We've all been in those places where we're like, Lord, change my circumstances, please. This is the encouragement that Jesus is giving us. Stay on mission. 
Continue to pursue him. Continue to love others. Continue to share the gospel message with other people. Continue to be persecuted for it. Because there's a reward. You're going to look back and you're going to go, oh my gosh, it was so worth it. Look at the baby. Look, <laughs> this is amazing. The whole world here. He talks about the whole world in these verses. He talked the whole world will be proclaimed. Really what he's talking about is the known world at that time surrounding the Mediterranean and the lesser known areas of, of the east. Before the temple was destroyed, this actually happened. The known world People had heard about Christ and all that he was, uh, that was proclaimed to him. The people were proclaiming him. There are those today that are in the same situation. There are people that, not in the same situation, a different situation, where our world has expanded so much that people need to hear the gospel still. There are unreached people groups out there there, we should be, there should be groups of people that we are praying for, that we are giving financially to help reach, going to, to know that, you know, do you know there's unreached people groups in our country? Did you know that? There's unreached people groups in our country. And I guess where I can come for that is, think about the migrant crisis. Think about that. Now, I'm not going to get being political or anything like that. I'm just going to say there are plenty of people that are coming from other places that have not heard the gospel that are living right in our, in our neighborhood. So he's saying, this, what Jesus is saying here is, keep on mission. I want the word preached to everybody. These days, you could probably find a neighbor that's never heard the gospel. <laughs> so what we see here in verse 14 is that we don't need to fear that persecution may hinder the spread of the gospel. Persecution should actually be one of the things that motivates us. Being persecuted for our faith is something that should motivate us to be bold in proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven. We should be able to leave an opportunity where we've shared Christ, where we've ministered for Christ, and we walk away, and we maybe got shamed or told, I don't want to hear that, and we feel bad for it, and we feel, all right for Christ, that happened for Christ. The signs of the times, you guys, they can be bleak and even scary. Our encouragement as followers of Jesus is to see them not as things, as to try to figure out when the end times are coming, when Jesus is coming back, or to allow them to cause us to be alarmed or to be scared, or to be things that sideline us from being steadfast and passionate about Jesus but we should see them as opportunities to grow in our faith as we learn to lean into Jesus. He's like, I need you so bad. This is so hard. I need you to do this. That's what those opportunities are for. And to be obediently sharing our faith to our friends and neighbors. The signs of the times shouldn't discourage us. These things shouldn't discourage us, but ultimately they should lead us into wholehearted participation in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father God, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word speaks to our hearts. It's not just print on a page. I want to pray for us all this morning, God. I pray that we would, as we view things in our world, not see them as things that to make us panic, 
I pray, God, that they would be things that cause us to want to lean into you even more, to trust you even more, to share your word with more passion, to be involved in church at a deeper level, not just for involvement's sake, because we know it is something that will help us to trust you, Jesus, even more. Help us, God. We need you desperately. And we pray it in your son's name. Amen.